welcome to the Impact Consulting Podcast. I'm your host, Molly, and in this episode, I will be sitting down with Rebecca Gramella. And I'll just hand it over to you and let you introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Rebecca Gramella, and I am the founder and director of Right and Good Consulting. Awesome. And where uh, are you based? <laughs> Yeah, I am based in Los Angeles, California, but am soon to be moving to the East Coast uh, in the States to Pennsylvania. So I've become a little bit of a nomadic consultant and citizen over COVID. So you started remote working during COVID, and I think a lot of people had a similar experience. And for you, how do you like it? How have you adapted to remote working? Yeah, I absolutely love it. Prior to COVID, much like many people, I was working fully in-house. COVID very quickly overlapped actually with my freelance work as well. I only started doing that about four or five months before COVID began. And so it was an interesting transition because I had already gotten a little taste of working from home and then the rest of the world joined me. And it really helped that transition go a lot more smoothly because suddenly everyone was in the same boat that I was in as a freelance worker. And it's felt completely natural since. I think as a consultant as well, I have a lot of conversations all day long with everyone and being able to honestly do that efficiently with a phone call or a Zoom and that be more acceptable than trying to meet in person, I think has preserved a lot of my energy and has allowed me to really get more work done for my clients, just, just having that accessibility. Yeah, absolutely. I think I was in the same boat. Actually, I just started consulting shortly before COVID and I'd kind of got my little office set up and everything. And, and I felt actually ahead of the curve. I felt like I was already kind of used to it <laughs> yeah, while yeah. other people were kind of scrambling and they never even considered working from home. So you saw their husband or wife in their pajamas in the background. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah like you're totally right. It was nice. <laughs> it was nice for both of us to have the setup ready to go a little bit before everyone else, for sure. Yeah. So, and it was really nice as well to have that everyone else get on the same boat. And then all of a sudden you don't need to explain why you're working at home anymore. It's like everyone's doing it. So it was kind of a, yeah. nice, a nice timing, obviously not a great event, but nice timing for a newbie consultant. Definitely. Um, and so can you give us a bit more detail about what you actually do? And oh, wait, let me back up for a minute. Uh, let me ask you first how long you've been freelancing. Oh, yeah. Wait, uh, oh, yeah. I think you just answered that. No, <laughs> no, it's okay. So I, life really is what helped me finally go full time into freelancing and therefore consulting. So I have always worked in house and any freelancing I had done was on the side. And then, uh, yeah, I did mention um, a few months before COVID, my partner and I actually moved for their job. And because of that, I had to leave my job that formerly would not allow me to work anywhere, but on location. So I left my job and was honestly looking for other full-time opportunities, but people kept asking me for small batches of work uh, for contracts. And, you know, I, I will say for the first few months, I still, I think in my mind was, was searching for a job, but more and more I was getting busier and busier with the work that I found more interesting. And so at a certain point after 
maybe it was around COVID or a, a bit before I committed in the newer part of 2020 to just say, I'm already doing this work. It's occupying a lot of my time, not quite full time, but most of it. So why don't I fully lean in and see what I can make of this if I really commit instead of kind of trying to to touch every base and, and get every piece of work done. And, and once I did that, it just felt natural and it opened up from there. So we're going on almost three years, not quite, but going on three years. And I mentioned that I'm based in LA, but moving again for my partner's job. And now I'm the one that's the most stable and consistent out of the two of us, because between remote work and the type of uh, flexibility that I have with freelancing, I'm able to just transition my workload across the country with me. And it really doesn't interrupt the work in any way. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's yeah. one of the best best things about being freelance or being independent or, you know, however you want to phrase it, but being more project-based than full-time in-house. So yeah, I yeah. think a lot of listeners will be able to connect with that. Well, and when I first, when we first moved three years ago, I using freelance work as an opportunity to have a job was not even on my radar. I think because I had done some projects on the side. In my mind, I hadn't just pulled the plug to say, I'm going to be a full-time freelancer because I felt like I had to have everything set up and ready to go and really like had these kind of check marks in place that I decided were important to just get started. And it wasn't until truly out of financial necessity. And, and also I had so much free time because I wasn't fully employed. Once I moved, I realized oh, I could figure it out as I went. And that's also what made me a great freelancer. And I think that, you know, that was just reinforced with this upcoming move that I had as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think another common pitfall for people who are thinking about going independent is that, yeah, they think that they need this business plan. They need business cards. They need a website. (laughs) They need to know exactly what their products or their services are going to be. And this kind of random check checklist, but then really what I don't know at the IC Hub, really what we advise for people to do is to get at least one consulting project under their belt and just see yeah. what it's like. Yeah. Like try it out, see what clients are looking for. I know for me, I had more of a general project management background. And so mm-hmm. I was like, I want to do that. But then I found that really clients weren't looking for that. And then I found that a lot of people were interested more in the fundraising experience that I'd had. So just based on what people were wanting me to do is how I built my profile. And then I added, then I added the website, then I added all these other things, but it's definitely, I think a lot of people put the cart before the horse on that one. And yeah, I think it can be, it can be a mistake because actually you can get caught up on designing the perfect business card. Oh yeah. Whatever. Uh, I have a friend that calls it productive procrastination and (laughs) Um, I think it's really easy to be guilty of that because it feels like you're you're doing something. It feels like you're making progress when instead, at least in my circumstance, I used it to avoid what was really scary, which was just getting started. Actually I, talking to clients yeah. <laughs> and saying, will you give me money to do yes. this thing? I, really I am working. Will you pay me, please? Thank you. Yeah, you're totally right. And I think you eventually, for full of metaphors, rip that bandaid off and you learn very quickly, like you said, what works and what doesn't. And I think if you're a good freelancer, you're adaptable and adaptable also in a way that fits into the scope of what you want to do. And and it's that flexibility overall that really makes it a great opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And I 
think that leads me to my next question, which is what is it that you actually do on the day-to-day? How do you, what kind of projects do you take on? How do you kind of position yourself as a, an independent consultant? Yeah. So right in good consulting, I decided to found as an entity more so than Rebecca Grimalek consulting, because my goal day to day is to really work on the projects that I'm passionate about and not necessarily have an agency, but have an umbrella where I can work with maybe other consultants or freelancers who specialize in the type of work that they do. So day to day, that looks like for me working on mostly business communications and content strategy. That's a lot of lingo if you're less familiar with that world, but I focus on responsible businesses, social impact businesses, nonprofit businesses, really any organization that has a mission-focused, mostly service-oriented type of work. I help them uh, get into the world and talk about their messaging and also help them build capacity around how they exist in communities. So sometimes that looks like me working with a PR team or a media team. Sometimes that looks like me helping connect them with partners. Sometimes it's just me helping facilitate meetings that they've already had, but they need someone to kind of project manage a communications effort for a a launch or a service. And so, you know, day-to-day is often very different, but the through line is honestly that I have a lot of phone calls (laughs) with with a lot of different partners. And usually that's exciting because there's a lot of energy around doing good and creating good in the world. And then right and good through our, you know, sometimes subcontractors will help me with more tactical things like graphic design that may be needed to complement some of that work. Sometimes people help me build websites for simple campaigns that need to happen. It's a lot of email campaigns and blog posts and really any of the written word that would support those conversations as well. Nice. I think one thing that you mentioned about having a brand that you can put all of your services under, even though they're diverse services, they're kind of in the same basket, but they do seem diverse. A lot of IC hubbers have asked about that because they're like, oh, you know, I don't want to do just one thing all the time. I have these different interests. And then we've often recommended if you do want to do that, it's good to have a brand or something to kind of put out there. And then you have a place for all these things because as an individual, no one, for some reason, as an individual, it's hard to get convince people that you're capable of doing, I don't know, various different things, different topics, being an expert in many things. You're totally right. I mean, it's hard to say, you know, I'm a professional generalist um, (laughs) and and that go over well, but I, prior to working for myself, was a communication instructor for two different organizations. And if you've ever worked for a startup or a nonprofit or, or many social impact organizations, you're where that phrase wearing many hats exists for a reason yeah. because I was essentially exactly that a professional generalist trying to get anything that may fall within the communications or external relations wheelhouse fell into my scope of work. And that meant I had to kind of understand how to pull the levers and prioritize based on what the needs were for the, the organization. I went back and forth on, like I said, going going as a brander myself, but I felt more comfortable with a brand that I thought of that reason, but intuitively it makes sense. It's a little easier to say, hey, here's our right and good basket. 
And then, hi, I'm Rebecca working here and I'm great at XYZ. Yeah, I, mean, I guess it's easier to imagine there's like a team behind you when you have the brand or there's that potential to grow. Mm-hmm. So I think that's another thing that appeals to a lot of people. I work under my own name. I don't have a brand. Yeah, but I don't know. I think it really depends on how diverse your offering is. So, and another thing that I thought was interesting is that you do have a lot of services and it sounds like you have a very diverse set of offerings. And so with that in mind, do you have kind of a typical client that you look for, or do you have some examples of clients that you've worked with in the past? Yeah. So the reason services are somewhat diverse is because the typical client that comes to me is usually really needing education around what they want. And so the solution looks very different depending on what's happening. So I typically work with, like I said, responsible businesses. They're almost always either startup phase or newly established, and they want to launch some sort of new campaign or program. And so when they come to me, and that's kind of budget agnostic, actually, also, Um, some people have a lot of budget and some do not, depending on on their resources. But regardless, they seem to be at that pivot point. And they come to me because they say, oh, I need help with marketing. I need help with social media. I need help with branding. And that actually looks totally different than what I typically do on a day-to-day. So I just mentioned, I typically work on strategy. I usually subcontract with another freelancer to do really specific social media work, design work. But what ends up happening is when that client approaches me, the outcomes that they're asking for are part of the package that can't be understood until you have this larger strategy in place. So, you know, we can't create an email campaign, a social media campaign until we understand your motivations, until we understand who you're talking to, until we understand the partners that you're working with. Why are you launching this program to begin with? And suddenly uh, this big bundle of of, uh, questions pop up and that's why suddenly my services look a lot more diverse because what I'm really being paid to do is help people work through their problem. Uh, You know, I absolutely provide solutions and suggestions, but often it's just more of an overwhelming set of tasks around communications work and the program managers busy working on a program. They don't have time to think about the strategy and execution of how to get the word out about it. So I'm really walking them through those processes, through all of those different strategies and offerings to make sure that they find the best solution for them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's also something that a lot of clients or consultants, including myself, has has dealt with is that the client doesn't always know what they want. They kind very of know rarely. they yeah, very rarely. <laughs> and if they do think they know what they want, it's usually the wrong thing. And with fundraising, it's the same thing. I mean, what they want is money, right? Like just in the same yeah, way sure. they want communications, they want to be known, they want people to understand what they're doing and to get excited about it. So they like know they want that, but then what specifically within that wide range of activities they want to do can vary a lot. And the client I find is not very good at identifying that. And that's why they're hiring someone. So as a consultant, it's, 
I think it's different than a full-time job because as a consultant, you're kind of creating the role for yourself. Maybe the client comes to you and says, oh, I want you to do this thing. And then you walk them through the strategy. And then you're like creating this role as like an advisor and say, this is what I think needs to be done to address that or this or whatever. And you're shaping it a lot more than you would do, at least uh, in my opinion, as an employee where you're really slotting yourself into an existing role. And as a consultant, you're more coming in and steering more of that strategy or giving that outside perspective and, you know, saying, well, you think you want this, but I can see that that's probably not going to be the best solution given your circumstances and what you want to achieve. I think that's really interesting. I, that totally feels right based on my experience. And I think, you know, the other big difference is that a consultant or a freelancer is hired to be there for a really specific reason. Usually they may not know what it is, but once it's identified, you know, you're the person on that's being brought on to fix that thing. Whereas it's clearly outside of the capacity of a staff member. That's been, like you said, slotted in, they're slotted in to do work in a totally different area. And you're coming in to really help them have extra time, resources, and energy on the team so that you can get get that work done. It's usually either fixing a problem or starting a new initiative. And regardless, that's more work than the current team can do. And so like that's the advantage of going in and shaping your role and, and working on that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's definitely a fun, fun, exciting part about being a consultant, but I also feel I sometimes I can be a bit intimidating or as you come in and I don't know, I feel that everyone's been kind of doing their thing for a while. And then I'm like, oh, we should do this. That's not working. This isn't working. We should do that. And so it feels kind of like shaking things up a little bit. And I don't know, sometimes I feel that can be a little daunting or you have to have a lot of confidence as well in your suggestions, which sometimes for me can be kind of difficult because I'm like, I think what you're doing isn't working. Here's my idea. And I don't know, that's a big a big step for me. But yeah. you know, as a consultant, I think you really have to bring that energy and be prepared to give suggestions and make bigger changes than just trying to slot into exactly what the client wants. Yeah. But obviously addressing what the client wants first and foremost, but also like guiding them through the process. Yeah. I mean, I am fortunate so far in my work that most of the people that have hired me are also the advocates for change on the team. So they may be a little hesitant to some ideas, but for the most part, they're excited about recommendations because the point is that what they're doing is not working currently. Yeah. I definitely have peers in this space and I've seen it when I was in house and we would hire consultants, you know, sometimes it's not a good fit or sometimes consultants are hired just for some virtue signaling to show you're trying to work on the problem, but there's actually no internal interest in making those changes. And so I hope to avoid being in that position, but I I have seen that happen as well, where you're almost more of a representative for a problem or a solution than actually being allowed to come in and help create change. Yeah, totally. And, and sometimes also the issues go a lot deeper than what a consultant could actually Mm -hmm. reasonably solve. So there's kind of these different things to consider as a consultant that I think a lot of people uh, as full-time employees maybe don't consider or don't need to consider. And then when you jump into consulting, all of a sudden you're confronted with all these things, which can be exciting, can be fun, but also can have, at least for me, can be stressful. And so speaking of things that are good, what are your top favorite things about being a freelancer? I think 
that first and foremost, um, I, I, I feel like it almost feels cliche, but flexibility that in no way means that I am just taking off afternoons and doing fun things all the time and hardly working. In fact, I think I work more as a freelancer than I used to when I was in house, but there's freedom in getting to pick my clients, my schedule, the type of work that I do, um, arranging what I get paid. All of those things I think are really valuable. Those I think also feed into number two, which is I think financial confidence and also creative confidence. So freedom and and confidence in those two areas, I think are my top three, because one, it didn't start that way, but over time, realizing the value of your work. And I switched at one point from a per hour model to a value-based model um, in the last year. And that was terrifying the first time that I uh, created an invoice that said, hey, we're going to charge based on what you're getting from this project versus my time that for the first time in my whole career, I really understood that I could be paid what I was worth and also what the market determined was valuable and what they would pay for the services that I provided. And with all of that, getting that financial confidence led to what I think is the stage I'm in now, which is that creative confidence of getting, not always getting to be picky, but a little picky about who you're working with and maybe if you have enough existing work that you you feel financially secure then you can go after more bold clients or you can go after projects that maybe you wouldn't have been confident in in doing beforehand it allows me more risk to maybe try things that I wouldn't otherwise have felt great about trying when I first started working for myself yeah totally yeah that's really cool And on the other side of the good things is always the bad things. So can you tell me the top three bad things about being freelance? Yeah. So Molly, when you sent these questions as a preview, I asked my husband what I complain about the most. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good focus focus group. Uh, Yeah, I was like, I'm not sure. And I think some of the perks that I just mentioned, like anything, are also the flips. So, you know, with all of that freedom is also some weird hours and inconsistencies and, and lack of structure. So I think lack of structure, self-accountability, and lack of a built-in community are really kind of my three cons. I think it might be hard for you to be a freelancer if you really rely on others to build your time and your day and your schedule. Um, It took a while, even though I was craving the freedom of working for myself to really feel okay with shifting around appointments. Uh, A few months ago, I set business calls or uh, sales calls could only happen on Tuesdays and Thursdays because I needed that structure around how I did my work. And and anyway, those things are hard to navigate. And uh, those weird hours and weird structure can can be a challenge, but you, I think, work through it through time. And then I very much am an extrovert. So I definitely think the biggest con for me is the built-in in-person community. But that, again, is a silver lining with COVID, where so many people are able to meet virtually now that my desk feels a lot bigger and I have access to a lot more people than I had when I first started working for myself. Yeah, that's very true. A lot of IC hubbers have mentioned that as well, which is why we started the IC hub and trying to connect people. But it's hard. I think if you're working on your own, you don't always have that same, you know, it's not the same water cooler chat or Mm -hmm. wandering to the coffee pot. You have to have kind of a reason to connect with people, which, you know, 
Yeah. <laughs> well, one of my first introductions to the social impact community was when I worked a co-working space called Impact Hub, which is a global brand, but it was kind of around before we work and all the other co-working spaces that are now the norm, but that was a great in-between solution that now that COVID is becoming safer, you know, maybe we can return back to a physical shared space as well. So that community can be there. Yeah, very true. Also, also nice to work from a co-working space or coffee shop or something. Yeah. Just to see humans remember that humans. Yeah, you may not talk to them, but just seeing them is sometimes (laughs) enough for sure. (laughs) Just knowing they exist outside of the computer screen. Yes. Someone besides my mailman arriving every day would be nice. Yeah. The world we live in, it's a crazy place. (laughs) And I know a lot of people, listeners will be wondering about this, but how do you get your clients? How did you get your first client? Any tips on on getting clients? That's always a big question that people have. Yeah. This kind of touches on what we said earlier, which is you have to just start telling people that you're working, right? (laughs) That you're open for business. That's your, that you're open and that you're looking and it does take time to narrow in on what you're asking for. You know, I mentioned a variety of services. So depending on who I talk to, I share different services that I know that will connect more with them, or they may have more access to But I get most of my clients through truly networking. And I feel like networking has a bad rap and that it can maybe be stereotyped as as traditionally, um, again, pre-COVID, going to some happy hour or some Zoom networking event where you meet a whole bunch of people and suddenly you have all these connections. But that's not what I mean. I have been to many of those and that's how I often get cold introductions but the follow-up is really, really important. And so I don't know if, if community building is not natural to you. I think sometimes you need to make tools to help keep track of your connections, to remind yourself to follow up. But, you know, it takes a lot of time, honestly, to build those relationships. But all of them have been valuable because all of my clients, for the most part, have been from some sort of referral or other. And I'm really grateful for that. Sometimes I get scared that that'll disappear. But I remember that I meet new people all the time. And if I continue to cultivate those relationships in the same way I have in the past, that's that will work. My very first job was a weird version of that. I uh, mentioned I was job hunting and I was actually a finalist for a pretty prestigious role that I was excited about. And the executive director decided to retire in the middle of my job search. (laughs) And the board of that organization then decided they were going to halt the job search because of the senior change. And so suddenly I was really confident I was going to be starting a new role soon and it disappeared. And the board asked me if I wanted to work on a small project. And that one project, I was a little resentful about at the time because I was so close to a full-time Yeah, you wanted the, the whole cake Yeah, I gave you a crumb yeah. and you're like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I thought that was, I thought that was it. And um, all of the people that I have met in the LA area, all my clients from the LA area have stemmed from that one project and the people I was able to meet through that project. And uh, I, like I was connected to a graphic designer on that project And that graphic designer introduced me to her connection. Her connection was a software company and they needed someone in communications. And so you just never know who you're going to meet where. And that's always been 
my selling point. I don't think you should think of networking and selling as a separate activity. I think it's if you're being a kind person in the world and paying it forward that those relationships seem to be helpful and come back. Yeah, definitely. I think most IC hubbers have, I mean, that's the most common response yeah. is that they get thing, they get work through their network. And, you know, it, to be fair, I think if you're applying for things or whatever, it's just a cold application. It's just a CV mm-hmm. and anyone can put anything on a CV. But if you know someone and you've been in touch with them for a while, you just can kind of get a sense of what they're like. And I don't know, they could be faking it or whatever, but I don't know. I think people just like to work with people that they know and they yeah. already have that relationship, that trust built up. So I don't know. It seems like a, a story, a typical story, and hopefully it will inspire some IC hubbers to continue meeting people, yeah. continue following up with those people and building relationships, even if it doesn't seem like, oh, there's a sale right in front of me, but those more long-term things are where the magic really happens. I mean, it. I wish I could remember the exact metaphor, but it's essentially like banking and an investment. And you're putting in little bits over and over again and hoping that they add up and multiply over time. And, and that time is a super important element of that equation. Um, some people I meet and something happens within the next few months. Some people, I just uh, was introduced to a person that I'm about to work with that I met when I first started working for myself and we've never met in person and we've only had a few Zooms together, but she recognized my work and connected me and that was an opportunity. So I hope, yeah, I hope other people don't get discouraged by that, but it is, it does seem to be helpful. Yeah. It's all about the marathon, not the sprint. And what are your biggest lessons learned as a freelancer? I think that all of them are around boundaries, (laughs) almost all of them around boundaries, because list. Uh, learning the difference between working for someone and working for yourself, you think, oh, I know exactly what's best for me and I'm going to build my structure. And you don't, I think, or I didn't realize how ingrained in me certain standards and principles were around an office culture, even though I had the opportunity to work for some more progressive cultures before. And so time management and boundary management were my biggest lessons. Everything takes twice as long as you think it will. Yes. <laughs> and you should accommodate for that. And then I think also knowing that values-based pricing that I mentioned before, I think was one of the scariest things I've done since starting my business, but also realizing my, I think I learned more about my value and worth as an employee and consultant in making that shift also. Yeah. That's very true. And if there was any advice that you could give your previous self about consulting, um, what would you say? (laughs) Take ownership of working for yourself. I feel like I, even once I got started, it was really hard for me to say, I own a company. I, I own right and good. I founded it. In fact, and I started it and I work for myself, like just being better about bragging about myself a little bit more. It's hard. It's hard. It doesn't feel natural and um, it does take practice. So if you're not there yet, I think knowing that if the more you practice that, it really does, I think, translate at some point. I know that the when I became more comfortable talking about myself is when more opportunities came my way and I can't directly correlate it, but I saw that difference. And 
Yeah. Well, people can't work with you if they don't know about you. Yeah. I mean, it sounds crazy, but, uh, it's, it's, it was a struggle and I I've heard from others that that can be intimidating, but if I could go back, I would, I would practice that more faster for sure. That's a really nice piece of advice to leave on. Um, and if people do want to find out more about you or connect and maybe work on their networking, how can they do that? I love networking for sure. Yeah. So Right and Good is in all of the traditional places. So Instagram and LinkedIn is where we spend a lot of our time. If you look on our website at rightandgood.co, we also have some resources and links that might be helpful, including our Slack community, which might complement your community a lot as well as it's a lot of social impact professionals. And I know it's pretty active. So I think that that would be useful for people to get plugged into. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a free community and it's there to ask questions and share opportunities and definitely a great opportunity to talk about what you do for sure. Great. So thanks so much for being on the podcast and have a great day. Thanks, Molly. Good to talk to you. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to the Impact Consulting Podcast. If you want more free advice and guidance on becoming a freelance consultant in the social impact and international development space, head to impactconsultinghub.com and subscribe to our mailing list. We'd love to see how we can help. Thanks again for tuning in and see you next time.